0: Welcome to Queers Did That, a queer history podcast. I'm your host Amanda,
1: and I'm Katie. Hi, Katie.
0: Hey. How are you doing today? I mean, I'm pretty good. I mean, you know, we hung out. Yeah, it was it was a nice day. Nice walk. Yeah. Good spring day in Philadelphia. Neither one of us are sick anymore. Mostly. Mostly, yeah. I mean, you know, what are you gonna do? Not much, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yay airplanes and sickness not a fun combination no no so but we are in california yeah we were amanda
1: took me to disneyland and it was the happiest place place on earth
0: yes but it also it's the same state at least it's a tie-in but not it's not the best tie-in but it's the same state so i'm counting it speaking of california oh okay we're doing a segue here yeah okay cool (laughs) I was trying to make a segue. Sorry. I, no, it's okay. I could have done it better, probably. No, nah, it's fine. Okay. So we're going to talk about Harvey Milk today because on Tuesday, I believe, is Harvey Milk Day.
1: Tuesday, Ma- uh,
0: May. Harvey Milk Day is on going to be on Wednesday, May 22nd. Oh, okay. So this will be coming out on the 20th, so two days before Harvey Milk Day. Okay. Finally. That was the point, yes. <laughs> that was intentional. <laughs> yeah, so as we get into the end of May and, and June, we're obviously going to be focusing more on specific Pride and Stonewall events just to kind of coordinate with that time period and, and the celebration of those people and those events. And And Harvey Milk, you know, is someone who I think is – sort of, well, obviously, is more well-known because of the movie that came out a decade ago.
1: I think we were in college, yes. Jesus. Yes, it came out in
0: 2008. Yep. So, 11 years ago. So, that's fun. hmm We're old, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. So, I had never heard of Harvey Milk before the movie came out. Had you? Pretty sure I, I had,
1: I just... Obviously, never knew much about them. And have you seen the movie?
0: No. Okay. I saw the movie. I was with my mom and saw the movie. Did you cry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just checking. I mean, no spoilers. I cried at Avengers Endgame twice, two different times. So you know, I'm gonna cry over a biopic.
1: Sure. It's, it's,
0: it's my brand. I'm not sorry about it. So can you, you know, do you remember anything you learned about Harvey Milk?
1: Now, I don't know if it's actually true if he was the first out gay. Was he like a, he wasn't, he was like a, uh, he wasn't a congressman, was he?
0: No, he wasn't a congressman, but he was the first gay elected official. Openly gay elected official.
1: Okay, maybe that's. one
0: won a seat on the San Francisco County, City County Board. was the city's first openly gay officer and one of the first openly gay individuals to be elected to office in the United States. Okay. So definitely but definitely like one of the first and loudest. Mm -hmm. You are correct. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. Harvey Milk was born on May 22nd 1930 in Woodmere, New York. He grew up in what?
1: Well, I was like, oh, that makes much more sense. I was like, it was March tw- or May 22nd when he was, like,
0: <laughs> killed. No. <laughs> that was, I was like, "Geez, why are we doing... That? Okay, I got it now. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, the birthday makes more sense. Yeah. I think they try to do that generally. Actually, I have no idea. I don't want to make that statement.
1: That's... Okay, yeah. But
0: in this case... Birthday. Birthday, which I think is appropriate and should be done all the time. I don't know if that's actually the case. He grew up in a small Jewish family and... You know, well-rounded student. He played football and, and sang. He had one brother, and he, his family owned a department store, and he worked at the department store growing up. It was called Milk's. Yeah, Yes. Makes sense. And he graduated from New York State College for teachers in 1951, and then joined the Navy and became a driving instructor at a base in San Diego during the Korean War. He was discharged in 1955, and that's when he moved to New York City. He worked a variety of odd jobs, including public school teacher, production associate for Broadway musicals, stock analyst, and Wall Street investment banker. Wow, that's <laughs> Yes, there's a lot of different things there. He hey, you know, gotta try on different hats. Yeah. He became tired of the finance scene and befriended. It. it says he befriended gay radicals who frequent his Greenwich Village. <laughs> I don't. I wish there was more about that, but I don't. I don't have any more about that. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming it's probably the same people we've talked about in other podcasts I mean, and I'm different just kinda, episodes. I'm just kind of picturing like a like a, a pack of like
1: gays, like a roving like pack of gays, just like roaming through the.
0: Through Greenwich Village, yeah. I mean, maybe. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. This was you know get like late nineteen fifties, early nineteen sixties. So, I mean, there's a lot of hippies going on. So, <laughs> yes. What well, the sixties more? Oh, and some of the Broadway musicals he was a production associate was for Jesus Christ Superstar and Hair. When did Jesus Christ Superstar like? first exist oh i mean he was still yeah okay it was 1971 so i think he jumped around just like all over the place Hmm. throughout you know in the 60s and 70s he was in new york and became more political and involved in like advocacy and demonstrate against vietnam war and then he moved to california san francisco in 1972 because he was bored with the finance and all that other stuff in New York, so he moved to San Francisco. He opened a camera shop called Castro Camera on Castro Street, mm-hmm. and he put his he put the store right in the center of the gay community because the Castro is and still is very gay centric, and that's where it's their neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? Which is what we have in Philadelphia. Some of the merchants around there, though, and then like we like think of this area as like super gay friendly but some of the merchants there tried to stop him and his business partner from opening the store because they didn't want to gay men opening a store near oh them. Yeah, I don't know. Because of this, Milk and a few other people founded the Castro Village Association and this was the first in the nation of organizing that specifically focused on LGBT business and Harvey Milk was the president. When he was doing that, he organized the Castro Street Fair in 1974 to attract more customers to the area. Mm-hmm. The success of that made the Castro Village Association an effective power base for gay merchants and basically became a blueprint for other like, advocacy groups and organizations surrounding and protecting gay business because he was able to he was like, oh, look, I mean, not, the, the mighty dollar speaks. He was able to bring more customers and more money to the area. So they're like, ah, oh, never mind. We like this dude. We don't care that he's gay. Because really, it's just an excuse to like, I mean, it's always the same excuse. But money talks. Nothing old and nothing new. For, but a lot of, as much as he was doing this advocacy, for a lot of his life, he, he was very quiet about his personal life. Very much in the closet. He said that he'd known since he was gay, since high school. And you had the emerging gay rights movement happening with the Philadelphia Animal Reminders, and a different episode, (laughs) in Stonewall, which we'll be talking about in a couple episodes. So you have all those things going on, and he specifically chose to be on the sideline of those movements and those demonstrations and those protests because he was very much wanted to not advertise it because i think it was like and again this is more of my like understanding and from the movie i don't i mean but like it seemed like you know you you live your life and you do your thing but i'm not gonna like broadcast it at the same time Mm -hmm. i think there's like that fine line that we all know that we're not gonna hide it but we're also not going to be like, hey, yeah. I'm a lesbian. Mm-hmm. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> and like, we do like demonstrations and walks and protests and stuff. But there's a lot of people who live their lives and are out, but at the same time don't want to put their face like in that crowd. So I think that's kind of where he was. Mm-hmm. Especially to, then it makes sense.
1: Just don't want to draw attention to yourself. Yeah. yeah, you
0: want to put your head down, live your life, and be happy. Right. For most of his life... He stayed out of politics, but those gay radicals that he befriended in Grinch Village kind of turned him more onto being politically aware and being like being gay as a political identity. So by the time he moved to San Francisco, that's why he was more like adept to creating the business association and kind of advocating for his business and other people's businesses. You know, as the, as he grew the business in the area, and his own business, Castro Camera, became the neighborhood center, and that's when he sort of started transforming into that leader and, like, activist. In 1973, he declared candidacy for a position on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. He was obviously a new politician with very little money, (laughs) and so... Naturally, he lost the election. Ah. But it didn't stop him from trying again. And two years later, he narrowly lost on the second election for the same seat, Ah. but was very, very close to it. But at this point, even though he had lost twice, he was becoming known to political circles, especially in San Francisco, and becoming more of a political force in the area. And especially as an outspoken leader of the gay community. And, you know, he had connections with San Francisco Mayor George Moscone and the Assembly Speaker and Future City Mayor Willie Brown and future Senator at that point, Diane Feinstein. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. I mean, I know she's old as fuck, but like... Yes. Okay. And this is also the 70s, too. It's not that...
1: Well, I know. Well, I mean, just the fact that she's still in the... Oh, but she wasn't a senator at that point.
0: No, she wasn't a senator at that point. No, she hasn't been a senator for fifty years. I mean, I know there has been me? some. Oh, not for a woman. True. Term limits. What? What? Anywho. So he's becoming more politically connected and gaining more traction in San Francisco, and he became known as the mayor of Castro Street <laughs> in. 1977 he finally won a seat on san francisco city county board there was some redistricting that happened because there was i'm trying to remember i mean either way there was some redistricting which helped him mm. win okay because i think initially it was like kind of like skirted around that districts like skirted around were all like the gays and old people and all the people he was advocating for more so and there was more of those people in his voting constituency at that point and that's what helped him to win, you know, third times a charm. (laughs) He was the city's first openly gay officer and one of the first gay individuals openly gay individuals to be elected to office in the United States. He people said that he made an effective and popular supervisor he had especially then was considered ambitious reform agenda gay rights protections anti-discrimination bills daycare centers for working mothers a conversion of military facilities to low cost housing reforming tax code uh, to attract industry from deserted buildings and he was an advocate for strong, safe neighborhoods and, you know, pressured the, uh, the mayor's office to add library services and community policing within, like, the Castro neighborhood. And, of course, he spoke on a state and national issues regarding LGBT people. This was a time of, which we've talked about in the one of our protest episodes of Anita Bryant- who was the orange juice lady? If we remember, right, right, who got right. pie in the face? Yes. So she was a very outspoken critic of milk, and this was this was happening at the same time. Just to put historical things okay. into perspective, I know it helps sometimes. Yes. Because I'm like, oh, these people are contemporaries, so this was going on at the same time. Because you had the Florida initiative and you know save the children bullshit. This was going on at the same time Harvey Milk was in office and advocating for LGBT rights in San Francisco. So one of the big things that he fought off was a ballot, Proposition 6, which would have mandated the firing of gay teachers in state public schools. Oh my. Yeah. State Senator John Briggs, who was like, I really want to be anti-gay, you know, (laughs) He he was the spear he spearheaded the initiative. So this is (laughs) the bad guy of this proposition. Okay, gotcha. He sucks. He (laughs) He sucks. (laughs) With an agenda, this is an agenda of hate and discrimination for political gain. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But because of Milk's position and opposition with like few important other people, it was defeated. Yay. And again, this is when the ordinance, the protection ordinance of Florida, got repealed. Mm-hmm. So this is when things are getting repealed, and discrimination laws are being put in place. They were able to knock this down, and specifically because of Milk and his circle of, of influence. That's good. So like as this was happening, as he was, as Milk was campaigning against the Briggs Initiative. That's You had a lot of people coming to gay pride marches more so in San Francisco and Los Angeles more than ever before because people were rallying because pride like it always should be is a political memorial and remembrance and I think when you have a semblance of hope Mm -hmm. you want to come out of the shadows more so than when people are like, we're going to discriminate you against you. And it's like, okay, well, I'm going to hang out over here. <laughs> yep. It's like, oh, we're going to try to fight this bullshit. Okay, well, I'll come out. <laughs> <laughs> like, obviously, if you have the agency to do so. But I think he was charismatic enough and loud enough and well-connected enough that people felt more comfortable being in the Castro and being in areas that were more safe than other parts of the country at the time right he obviously spoke about idea of equality and the American ideal of equality proclaiming quote gay people we will not win our rights by staying quietly in our closets we are coming out to fight the lies the myths the distortions we are coming out to tell the truth about gays for I am tired of the conspiracy of silence so I'm going to talk about it and I want you to talk about it you must come out and there was obviously a lot of push and pull with that. It's, he was a well-connected, small business owner, white, gay man. Mm-hmm. Still very dangerous to come out, especially at that time. Right. But not necessarily <laughs> the space for everyone to be able to come out. And some people, even of his stature and privilege kind of bucked at it because mm. this is this is a very different concept being the word gay and lesbian didn't exist decades before mm-hmm. and then you have people being gay but we just don't talk about it we have it over here like we keep it a secret and the fact that you have a person who is in political office? Who is openly gay? Saying we all should be openly gay is a very <laughs> radical thing, and I think now it kind of gets like muddled with it. Like everyone should come out, and like not kind of respecting the the radical like nature of coming out, mm-hmm. because it's become much more normalized, which is obviously a good thing. But at the same time, it's still very radical <laughs> and still very brave to come out, no matter when and you should only come out when you feel safe to come out in any situation and yeah obviously ideally like everyone should be out all the time because that helps but at the same time it's like you're a 14 year old kid maybe you should get out of your house and be able to sustain yourself before you come out yeah it's still something that obviously that we're struggling with today in our community but he was one of the first and loudest advocates for coming out because people who know gay people are a lot less likely there's obviously still people who are very bigoted and are assholes but you have like the middle of the road people who if they know someone who's gay they're not going to be discriminatory and have more understanding of what being gay is like right so obviously that's helpful and no it's not our obligation to educate people but still Yep. okay Soapbox <laughs> Sorry. Like one of the things that he did really well also as a political leader was he was very good at intersectionality and he was so successful as a politician because he built he built coalitions between diverse group of people, women, Asians, Hispanics, disabled, and even brought Teamsters and gay bar owners together and had Teamsters to hire more gay drivers. <laughs> And what we talked about, of course, when that was going on, that strike, he asked bar owners to stop selling beer from certain distributors while the drivers were striking. Hmm. You had, this is also one of the first times where you had labor unions and gay groups and women's groups and other groups of people working together against whatever is going on in time, which is basically how you should do it. (laughs) It's a good thing. I don't know, obviously, the power dynamics within that. And obviously, it's like a very detailed thing, but the idea of it, at least, is what you're supposed to do. And, you know, including, and that's stuff we're, again, we're dealing with now, like including people who are disabled, including, you know, minorities, and not being terrible and recognizing that different people have different experiences. That is something that I think he was. <sighs> Ahead of his time, but also again, it kind of got, it kind of got lost, and I don't know if it's something that we collectively intentionally forget, or it just gets forgotten because our stories aren't being told. Mm-hmm. Or a little bit of calm A, a little bit of calm B, but regardless, we're still, we're still learning the lessons, and I think, I think the gay community is. We're obviously going to be dealing with growing pains for a while but that's one of the things that are going to be growing pains this was also a time where homosexuality was still seen as a mental illness too just to put things into perspective and but you had moscone the mayor of san francisco he was super like into and supporter of gay rights and he had abolished the city's anti sodomy law he had a uh, he also had appointed several gay and lesbians to another to other high profile positions within San Francisco. So this guy was hmm. progressive. But on the other side of the coin was supervisor Dan White. Okay. Is that name mm. you you will. Okay. He was a Vietnam vet and former police officer and fireman and he was troubled. He was troubled by <laughs> the quote-unquote, breakdown of traditional values and the growing tolerance of homosexuality. He was, el- he was also elected to the city-county board in 1977 and often clashed with Harvey Milk on his liberal views. After, a year after he was elected in 1978, White resigned, citing that his salary of $9,600, I don't know what that translates to today. <laughs> gotcha. Was in enough to support his family. Actually, I kind of want to see that. Ninety-six hundred dollars in 1978 is about thirty-six thousand nine hundred seventy-two dollars in 2018.
1: And then also, when you figure it's in San Francisco <laughs> as well.
0: Yeah, but this was before before it's Silicon cost Valley. A lot. I mean, I'm sure it was expensive, but yeah. it was before the internet, so I don't think it was as terrible. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's actually not... I thought that was would be more, but I obviously don't understand how inflation works, so All it's okay. Right. As an inflation expert. <laughs> Regardless, he resigned, but he had a lot of police support as a former police officer, and but then he changed his mind about his resignation and asked Moscone to reappoint him. hmm The mayor refused, but... He was encouraged by Milk and others to fill White's spot with a more liberal board member. But for White, who was you know, he was convinced that Muscogee and Milk were like basically causes of like the downhill of civilization. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> he was not happy well, you know, it's his ultimate like white dude power move. Oh, I changed my mind. He's like you right? gave me back my job, I quit. You can't resign and it was an elected office, right? Yeah. It was you an can't elected resign office. that and just come on back. I was like, oh, I changed my mind. My buddies changed my mind for me. No, sorry, you resigned. <laughs> That's yeah. not how that works. That's not how any of that works. But he still was not happy about it. Mm-hmm. And on November 27th, 1978, White entered City Hall with a loaded mm. revolver. Mm. He avoided metal detectors by entering through a basement window that had been uh, left open for ventilation. He stopped by the mayor's office and him and Ms. Scone began arguing, moving to a private room so they, could be, so they couldn't be heard. That's when Miss Goon again refused to reappoint White, and that's when White shot the mayor twice in the chest and then twice in the head. And then he went down to the quarter and shot Milk twice in the chest and one in the back of the head. Oh. One in the back and twice again in the head.
1: I didn't realize that he murdered the mayor, too.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. As soon after, he turned himself in at the police station where he used to work. I said that you probably remember this because you have I know as a true crime <laughs> person, you've heard of the Twinkie defense. The Twinkie defense. No, okay. Yeah, I know, you might have to educate me. So,
1: Is this the gay panic thing or no? No. Okay.
0: Oh, I get it, no. Twinkie. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. Right. It took me a second, but I got it. Yeah. No. The Twinkie defense is what Dan White's lawyers used, and claimed that White was a normally stable person, but he abandoned his healthy diet and began indulging in sugary junk food like Coke, donuts, and Twinkies, Mm -hmm. and that's what drove him to do this. Was his terrible diet? Oh, is is that what it was? No, like that they that was the legitimate defense of that and uh, hopefully that did not work a jury convicted white of uh, voluntary manslaughter rather than murder wait oh really
1: are you kidding and me white was
0: subs- he would serve at least six years in prison
1: are you kidding me that's ridiculous
0: oh he did serve six years in prison but obviously double homicide would do a little bit more than that yep especially like elected official
1: like the mayor that's in i can't that's insane
0: well, I mean, I know. Yeah, people, that's, when I, I saw the movie and I didn't know that. I knew that he was, Harvey Milk was assassinated. I did not know about the Twinkie defense <laughs> until that point. And I think I <laughs> audibly said, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> in the movie theater, because I was like, this is, and this movie came out in 2008. So this was before, this was Prop 8 time. Yeah, Prop 8 time. This was before marriage equality became a national thing mm-hmm. and there was still the very like state by state fight and then it's like nothing makes you feel good about your fight like people being like oh that dude ate twinkies that's why he murdered the gay dude in the mayor mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah no that makes sense he didn't mean to do it he was just he shot them multiple times mm-hmm. each multiple times and then <laughs> got voluntary and manslaughter and he was released in 1985 and a year after he was released uh White died by suicide damn
1: it i wanted i wanted like a better revenge story
0: i don't but what, what's the satisfying revenge story there i don't know yeah i don't think i don't think it exists i think that's a problem obviously An openly gay official, especially at that time, received many death threats. So he recorded several versions, Harvey Milk recorded several versions of his will and testament Mm. and his life. That's a lot of where they drew the information for the movie, it was through his recordings as well. And that's where the line comes. I don't know if you heard this quote. If a bullet should enter my brain, let that bullet destroy every closet door.
1: Mm, no.
0: But that's basically what has been attributed to him. Stuart Milk, a teenager, and was Milk's nephew, came out, along with others across the nation, the day his uncle was killed. People, you know, shortly after his death, there was a march in Washington chanting, Harvey Milk lives. And you have the movie coming out in 2008. And then you have Harvey Milk Day celebrating on his birthday.
1: Well, aren't the, the schools the Harvey Milk schools?
0: Yes. So there's that as well. There's, I think, a couple streets named after him now. So he's, he's you know, I had not heard of him until the movie I was mad about it then too. Well, <laughs> because you have—I mean, obviously, you have other—you have these people who are dubbed like the first in different groups, or different revolutions, and different liberation movements. Obviously, it's much more than those people. Mm-hmm. But you still learn about those people. You know, women's—you know—rights, and you have even i'm not going to get into susan b anthony but you know who susan b anthony is (laughs) yes because of how history was framed and taught to us Mm -hmm. you would expect that in theory for someone who was the first openly gay united states politician right but we didn't i had never heard of him before So I mean that sounds about right for your education, but yes, again, Catholic school education strikes again. (laughs) Well did you well you hadn't heard of him either. You went to public school, had you? Yeah, I heard of him. It's not but I mean you heard about him in school. I cannot honestly remember. Well there you go. Yeah. I'm gonna vote no. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Since I was not there. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Okay, so you know. That was good. It was interesting. Yeah. He, he did a lot of different stuff. And, and
1: like, he was only in pop, like, actually, like, an elected official for, like, a year.
0: Yeah. But he did all that advocacy work and building up to it mm-hmm. beforehand. And he became he became a voice in the Castro. He became a loudspeaker for people. And he would literally get on soapboxes with <laughs> a bullhorn. Like, he had, like like, specific, like, it became famous that he had a bullhorn. You have, like, those types of people who it's definitely hard to be the first of anything. Yes. And, unfortunately, a lot of times that comes at a price.
1: Yeah. Seems that way.
0: So, because he was 47, 48.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, he managed to do a lot of good in that time, and his legacy still lives on, so that's that's
0: good. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad that you learned a lot today. Yeah, of course. I always learn something. Well, I'm glad. But, you know, <laughs> just specifically this time, I'm also glad. Okay, good. <laughs> well, that's our show. If you have any comments or questions, you can email us at queersdidthat at gmail.com or Twitter at queersdidthat. You also can leave a voice message now on Anchor because with Anchor, you, you have to have a... Log in with Anchor to do that Mm. if you want. We love to hear from people if you have nice things to say. (laughs) Or constructive criticism. Just don't be mean about it. That's all. (laughs) That's all I ask. Mm -hmm. The internet is neat sometimes. But we love you. So (laughs) until next time, make gay history and make history gay. Goodbye. Bye.